the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Five o'clock, Mark Hitchcock will be my guest. He's the co-author of Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? We uh, had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. We're going to share it with you again at five o'clock today. And then some final thoughts on digital babies. Yeah, it's the first time I heard the phrase digital babies. Apparently, they're the wave of the future lifestyle over the culture of life. We'll get into that also in the five o'clock hour. I also want to give you a heads up on Tuesday. We're going to talk with Mark Paoletta. He is the co-author of Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. If you saw the documentary, apparently the book has more in it than the documentary. I didn't have that opportunity to see the film, but we'll be talking with him tomorrow on the program. And then on Thursday, let me encourage you to get your um, grilling apron out because we're going to talk with the Grilling King, Jeff Tracy, about just that barbecue, grilling, what to do, what not to do, uh, major uh, mistakes we tend to make, all of that when he joins us for some fun conversation on Thursday right here on the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is our producer. Sam Moppin is today's engineer, and we're glad to have you with us. Well, Mayor Wheeler, that's the mayor of the city of Portland, released new analysis of Portland's rising homicides and shootings. The third-party report found a 207% increase in Portland's homicide rate between 2019 and 2021, a precipitous rise even when compared to similarly-sized cities. It's not a favorable report. Well, the mayor's office released this newly updated report on Saturday. It detailed Portland's uh, shooting and homicide rate over the last three years, uh, finding that the city compared unfavorably. Uh, The analysis was conducted by the firm California Partnership for Safe Communities. It examined both homicides and non-fatal shootings in Portland, again, from 2019 to 2021. The um, reports, uh, the, the mayor said of the report in a statement, this report confirms the unfortunate reality of what we already knew, that gun violence is on the rise in Portland and that it is being driven by a very small percentage of our population. I look forward to incorporating this important data and the recommendations from California Partnership into our future efforts to address gun violence, including Safer Summer PDX and beyond. Prosecuting wrongdoers would be a good place to start. Over those three years, the analysis found Portland saw a 144 percent increase in its homicide count and a 241 percent increase in non-fatal shootings that resulted in injury. When compared to relative to five peer comparison cities, Minneapolis, Atlanta, San Francisco, Denver and Nashville, the report found that Portland had the largest increase in its homicide rate to 207 percent. Now, one thing that tells you is that we had a relatively low homicide rate and that it's increased more dramatically than, say, San Francisco and other places that have had traditionally higher rates. Minneapolis was next highest at 104 percent and the third highest was Atlanta at 54 percent. I won't go into more detail, but you can find out more uh, on the website for the city of Portland. But again, Portland's rising homicide and shooting rates, not an encouraging number, an increase 
of 207 percent in that report. Also, the president secured no immediate oil output boost pledges, but U.S. officials are hopeful in the coming weeks. I'm referring, of course, to the president's trip to the Middle East that was at least advertised as a a way to encourage, to ask, to cajole, to beg the Saudis to release more oil. We're now being told, well, that wasn't the goal, but it was something that they're going to talk about at some future date. Well, the administration isn't expecting Saudi Arabia to boost its output immediately as a result of his uh, Mideastern trip. Officials are voicing confidence, however, that the weeks ahead may see Gulf producers increase production, may see Gulf producers increase production. Now, this is production that we could have done here in our own country, but that's another story for another day. They're also looking to the next meeting of the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries and Allied Producers in a little over a fortnight's time when the group will consider output for September and beyond. The president came away from his visit to Saudi Arabia without an announcement that his hosts would immediately boost oil output. But the State Department's senior advisor for energy security, who accompanied the president to Israel and Saudi Arabia, told CS, uh, CBS's Face the Nation that based on what we heard on the trip, I'm pretty confident that we'll see a few more steps in the coming weeks. I'm not sure what a few more steps means, steps in the right direction, steps to actually make more oil available. Not entirely clear. Well, the Saudi crown prince Uh, He did say at a regional summit attended by the president that the kingdom could increase its production capacity to 13 million barrels per day from just over 11 barrels per day, 11 million, I should say, although the intention to do so had already been signaled two months earlier. Uh, There was uh, capacity for increased production, not just from Saudi Arabia, but also from other Gulf states whose leaders took part in Saturday's summit in Jeddah. Now, you might recall Um, The French president, he had uh, whispered rather loudly and in the hearing of uh, microphones that uh, Saudi Arabia and other countries were already at capacity and there would be no increase. So how that pans out, we'll have to just wait and see. The original thought was this trip was going to give the president something to announce. That wasn't the case. And there's some question about what the president said and didn't say. Uh, The crown prince denied some of what the president said uh, was said about Khashoggi. that neither here nor there. It's not altogether clear what the benefits of this trip will be, but we're being told we need to wait. Um, There are future possibilities coming. We'll see. Well, the administration has streamlined the SIV program for Afghans who worked alongside U.S. troops in Afghanistan. On Monday, they announced changes to the Special Immigration Visa Program, or SIV, Streamlining that process and demonstrating its commitment to the thousands of brave Afghans who worked with U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Now, at this late date, given our exit from the country and how many we left behind with no means of escape, uh, it's not clear how many people will benefit from this uh, this new announcement. But the special immigration visa program for Afghan citizens provides a path for former employees and contractors who worked with the State Department or other American entities. Now, many of these applicants uh, applicants rather remain in pending status at the State Department to review their eligibility. Well, on Monday, though, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced a change to the program that will simplify and streamline the application process for Afghan applicants. The United States continues to demonstrate its commitment to the thousands of brave Afghans who stood side by side with us over the course of the past two decades, they said in a statement, adding that the administration has already undertaken undertaken substantial steps to improve the SIV program and noted the update to the process reflects our commitment to do so. 
Beginning this week, they said the new Afghan SIV program applicants will only need to file one form, a revised DS-157 form, as their SIV petition. Now, questions remain. How do they file these forms? How do they access them in a a, um, country that is under the leadership of the Taliban? uh, Is it possible for them, even with the right paperwork, with the right credentials, to leave the program? We don't have any presence in Afghanistan. So lots of questions Remain, But streamlining the SIV program is good news, uh, just a little bit late in this uh, this whole process, particularly for those who have a, a target on their back, having served with the Americans. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, coming up in the five o'clock hour, Mark Hitchcock, co-author of Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? Second hour of today's program. Well, Russian President Vladimir Putin is visiting Tehran on Tuesday for a meeting with Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khomeini, the first trip by the Kremlin chief outside the former Soviet Union since the invasion of Ukraine. Well, Putin cast the West's attempt to cripple Russia's economy with the most severe sanctions in recent history as a declaration of economic war and says Russia is turning away from the West to China, India and Iran. Well, this, of course, comes just three days after President Biden finished his visit to Saudi Arabia. Russia's uh, paramount leader arrives in Tehran to hold his fifth meeting in the, with Khomeini, Iran's second supreme leader who came to power in 1989 on Tuesday. The contact with Khomeini is very important, says the Putin's foreign policy advisor. A trusting dialogue has developed between them on the most important issues on the bilateral and international agenda. On most issues, our positions are closely close or identical. His visit to Iran will coincide with one by Turkey's uh, Erdogan, and the two leaders will meet in Tehran to discuss a deal aimed at resuming Ukraine's Black Sea grain exports and Erdogan's threat to launch another operation in northern Syria, which Moscow opposes. So it's a very interesting thing to watch the geopolitical moves and uh, the alliances that are being formed following the intrusion, the invasion into Ukraine. Meanwhile, the Biden administration's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, disclosed on Monday that Iran would soon be providing military drones to Russia, supporting Moscow's four plus month old unjust war against Ukraine. Well, that's bad news for the U.S. as Ukraine's defenses will become more difficult and the deepening ties between Iran and Russia will likely mean more problems for American foreign policy. Sullivan revealed at a White House briefing, our information indicates that the Iranian government is preparing to provide Russia with up to several hundred UAV unmanned aerial vehicles, including weapons capable UAVs on an expedited timeline. And while additional details on the previously secret deal are currently scant at the moment, this development is uh, troubling for American interests for several reasons. First, The defense of Ukraine will become more challenging. Both armed and surveillance drones can be a force multiplier in modern warfare, as we know from the Ukraine conflict. And second, Tehran's willingness to assist Moscow in its uh, time of need will deepen the Iran-Russia axis, undermining any efforts to isolate both countries due to their troubling domestic and international policies. So this uh, this uh, once again reveals how things uh, spiral out of control, so to speak, uh, during a conflict. A hero with a handgun. That's what police are calling 
the individual that stopped a shooter. Police are praising an armed Good Samaritan, as they refer to him, who neutralized a gunman during the deadly rampage at a mall after a gunman opened fire at a suburban Indianapolis shopping mall on Sunday, killing three people before he was gunned down by a man legally carrying a pistol under Indiana's new constitutional carry law. Reports on Monday found that the man who put a halt to the shooting was actually in violation of Greenwood Park Mall policy, not the uh, government policy, but the mall policy, which bans the carry of weapons in its facility. However, Greenwood Mayor uh, Mark Myers credited the man with saving several lives by killing the shooter, saying they were grateful for his quick action and heroism. Critics are lashing out after the man carrying the pistol stopped the mass shooting, arguing the man should not be called a good Samaritan. Cleaning house, Liberal City's new D.A. uh, is going on fire, uh, firing spree after voters ousted her predecessor. The new district attorney in San Francisco is cleaning house after the ouster of her embattled progressive predecessor, Chesa Bodine, uh, firing at least 15 employees from the prosecutor's office. San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins, who Mayor London Breed swore in eight days ago, Uh, issued statements Friday saying she made difficult but important changes to her management team and staff that will help advance her vision to restore a sense of safety in San Francisco by holding serious and repeat offenders accountable and implementing smart criminal justice reforms. With a tragic uh, timeline, Uvalde police released the body cam footage showing the controversial school shooting response. It did not help the case of first responders there. Creating a blind spot, the semiconductor shortage is chipping away at car safety features. Something to consider if you're looking to purchase something new. Citing a Democratic failure, a New York Magazine column declares the death of Democrats' domestic ambitions a catastrophe with a thousand fathers. That's a direct quote. On pace for a return, President Biden's COVID czar voiced support for Los Angeles bringing back their indoor mask mandate. Dr. Ashish Jha, President Biden's COVID-19 coordinator, voiced support on Sunday for Los Angeles County preparing to bring back its mask mandate as the area has seen a surge in coronavirus cases driven by the BA5 variant of the Omicron strain. Los Angeles is on pace to bring back its universal indoor mask mandate on the 29th of this month, unless the county drops below the CDC's high transmission threshold by that point. Out of purview, the January 9th committee chair, Benny Thompson, Thomas Thompson, that's it, continues to keep Nancy Pelosi off limits for scrutiny. A New York GOP representative, Elise Stefanik, points out House January 6th committee chairman Benny Thompson, a Democrat from Mississippi, continues to keep House Speaker Nancy Pelosi out of the panel's uh, investigatory purview in the face of claims she rejected precautionary National Guard troops ahead of the riot, according to a top House Republican. She declined their help before uh, people arrived. House Republican Conference Chairwoman Elise Stefanik, who took over the role after House January 6th Committee Vice Chairwoman Liz Cheney was voted out of the post, called the panel un-American. Stefanik pointed to Thompson's 2021 comment that nobody is off limits from investigation, including former President Donald Trump, but also cited further comments by the 13-term Democrat. She said suggested he accepts Pelosi. Again, you have only one office that's off limits to the investigation. The Democratic head of the committee, Benny Thompson, said at the start of this witch hunt that everything is fair game except for the Speaker of the House's office. NPR is being blasted by conservatives and journalists who criticize NPR's new disinformation reporting team. Seems to me they've been reporting disinformation for some time, but that's another subject, as they recall NPR's Hunter Biden dismissal. 
Changing the focus, President Biden uh, is planning to report uh, to a reporter at rather as asking um, if he regrets MBS's first. uh, Let me get this right. I know I can do this. President Biden to a reporter who asked him if he regrets the um, MBS fist bump said this. Why don't you guys talk about something that matters? And I think he's got a point. Out of touch amid high gas prices, Pete Buttigieg is going to. Uh, is being slammed for telling Americans to switch to electric cars. Justice Breyer is going to teach at Harvard Law School after leaving the SCOTUS bench. The retired justice, uh, Supreme Court justice, is going to join Harvard Law School after leaving the Supreme Court bench, what, about a week ago. Harvard said Friday that Breyer, who retired from the Supreme Court on, well, I guess it was longer ago, June the 30th, is rejoicing in the law school faculty, rejoining. Breyer is a graduate of the law school, first joined the Harvard faculty in 1967. He continued to teach at Harvard after he became a federal appeals court judge in 1980 until former President Clinton nominated him to the U.S. Supreme Court in 94. Harvard said in a statement that Breyer will teach seminar, seminars and reading groups, continue to write books and produce scholarship and participate, uh, participate in the intellectual life of the school and in the broader Harvard community. Breyer is 83, does not yet have any classes listed in Harvard's online course catalog. However, the school said his appointment as the Brine Professor of Administrative Law and Process, would be effective immediately. He is a longtime expert in administrative law, the law surrounding government agencies, and co-authored a textbook on the subject. Dr. Fauci has announced he plans to retire, well, by the end of President Biden's current term, which ends January of 2025. The infectious disease expert who led the Biden administration's COVID response confirmed the news on CNN on Monday. He did not specify a departure date. I have said that for a long time, Fauci told the outlet of his repeated teasing of retirement. By the time we get to the end of Biden's first term, I will very likely retire. Note, very likely. While it was once the doctor's explicit goal to preside over the national strategy to eliminate COVID-19 from the population, as the chief medical advisor to Biden, he has recently accepted that the disease may be endemic and present for the foreseeable future. I think we're going to be living with this for many years, Fauci now says, speaking to Politico in an interview on Monday. He's been the director of the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease of the U.S. National Institutes of Health since 1984. Well, Fox, um, well, a group of prominent conservatives released a new study on Thursday outlining their investigation into the 2020 election and have concluded former President Trump's claims of a stolen election are unfounded. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll tell you more about this prominent group of uh, conservatives who have um, studied and come to a conclusion. They say it was lost, not stolen. More on that when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, a group of prominent conservatives released a new report on Thursday outlining their investigation into the 2020 election, and they've concluded former President Trump's claim of a stolen election are unfounded. The report called Lost, Not Stolen, the conservative case for 
that Trump lost and Biden won the 2020 presidential election was put together by three former federal judges and eight conservative leaders who investigated Trump's claims. Well, over the course of a year, the group looked at all 64 cases of the Trump campaign's fraudulent claim in six key states and concluded that there were no substantial instances of fraud that would have changed the election results. The report goes state by state, claim by claim, taking time to investigate each legal case. Fears of further damage to the electoral process drove the report. As allegations of fraud continue, investigators said that they fear that Trump supporters' unwillingness to see the election as lost could come back to haunt them if they flip the majority in the House and the Senate this cycle. I think there is a lack of recognition that... um, uh, that goes both ways and that some uh, that should Republicans take over, you're opening the door for Democrats to say the same thing. And that corrodes the basic fundamental part of our democracy. That's a quote from Benjamin Ginsburg, an election attorney who has worked in the Republican politics for decades. Ginsburg, along with former senators John Danforth and Gordon Smith and longtime Republican congressional chief of staff David Hope, Uh, as well as former Solicitor General Ted Olson and former Federal Appeals Court judges Michael Ludig, Michael McConnell, and Thomas Griffith, concluded that there was no substantial claim of fraud to change the election. Griffith said that he felt it was important uh, that a group of conservatives do an investigation rather than rely on outside sources to investigate. I contacted Ben and a number of other longtime political conservatives to say, uh, let's look at, at this ourselves. Let's not rely on what the New York Times is telling us or uh, our other outlets are telling us. Let's look at this ourselves. Let's spend the time. Let's do a deep dive into each of the contested states. Griffith is quoted as saying the report acknowledges that changes in voting due to COVID-19, the pandemic could have created opportunity for more fraud, but found that was not the case. The performance of the system in 2020 was all the more remarkable because of the extraordinary circumstances caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, which precipitated changes on an unprecedented scope and timeline. You can uh, read that report, and I would encourage you to do that if you have questions about it. And as you consider all of the information that's available, um, it's uh, simply, let me find the address here, lost, not stolen, all one word, lost, not stolen, uh, dot com. Well, it began in Boulder, Colorado, on the night of May the 3rd. It was one day after Politico leaked a draft of the Dobbs Supreme Court decision that would eventually overturn Roe v. Wade seven weeks later. Criminals attacked Sacred Heart of Mary Catholic Church, smashing windows, spray-painting multiple anti-Catholic and pro-abortion slogans on the doors and walls of the building. Thus began a countrywide wave of hate crimes and terrorist attacks against churches, pregnancy resource centers, and pro-life organizations, unlike anything seen before in the U.S., with at least 85 attacks occurring in the 74 days since the May 2nd leak. Well, the Washington stand has uh, tallied an additional 21 incidents of assaults on pro-life individuals and police officers, disruptions of religious services and other violent incidents committed by pro-abortion extremists over that same time frame. So the number is much higher. In response, Senator Josh Hawley, he's a Republican out of Missouri. He introduced the Pregnancy Resource Center Defense Act on Thursday with a goal of uh, toughening criminal penalties for those who attack PRCs and places of worship. 
The bill would accomplish this by increasing criminal penalties from a misdemeanor to a felony for the first-time offense and increasing the criminal fine from $10,000 to $25,000, guaranteeing that pregnancy resource centers and religious facilities that successfully sue will receive um, no less than $20,000, which is a $10,000 increase, and it would impose a seven-year mandatory minimum when attacks involve arson, up from a five-year mandatory minimum. He went on to say the Biden administration has turned a blind eye while radical leftists attack pregnancy resource centers and houses of worship. All he said in a press release and now left wing politicians are trying to shut them down in time to put an end to the attacks and get tough on thugs who engage in violence, arson and other means of destruction. It took 53 days of sustained terrorism before the president issued a call for peaceful protests. And a left-wing group linked to billionaire George Soros has won a nearly $172 million federal contract from the president's administration to help young illegal border crossers avoid deportation. The Vera Institute of Justice, with financial ties to Soros, has won a federal contract of $171.7 million that will provide attorneys to unaccompanied alien children to avoid deportation from the United States. The Institute could receive as much as $1 billion from the administration. Politicians, especially those um, on one end of the continuum, claim to care about the working class and the poor. In reality, though, they care a lot more about padding the government's coffers at the expense of those who struggle to make ends meet. And while some are always prattling about uh, making the rich pay their fair share, they don't mind preying on poor folks to fill in budget gaps and uh, to help pad their enviable pensions. Lower income earners may not have to pay any federal or even state income taxes, but there are other ways government gets its hand into the pockets of the down and out. Runaway inflation is one. Everything is more expensive these days, and naturally it's hitting the poor the hardest. But there's another way in which government makes the poor pay, and that's state lotteries. It's common knowledge that low-income Americans are drawn to lotteries more than others, but now we're learning why. It's one thing for government to operate lotteries for additional revenue, but it's quite another to intentionally target low-income communities. CBS News reported that lotteries are now lotteries now operate in all but five U.S. states, driven by more than a half billion dollars in annual ad spending. Lottery ticket sales have grown from forty seven billion dollars to eighty two billion dollars since 2005. Uh, in 10 states, lotteries generate more revenue than corporate income taxes. In other words, the poor are paying taxes, plenty of taxes. They're just uh, they just don't know it. As ABC went on in their report, the 1999 report to the National Gambling Impact Study Commission found the top 10 percent of lottery spenders accounted for two thirds of the sales. The most frequent players, the study found, had lower incomes, were high school dropouts and disproportionately black. More recently, a study conducted by the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism at the University of Maryland reveals that lotteries in most states are disproportionately placed in communities with high poverty and majority black or Hispanic residents. As it turns out, those urban poverty plantations are even more insidious than we thought. Despite the popular notion that lottery proceeds are putting books and supplies in the hands of public school children, money collected from people who often use rent or food money to purchase lottery tickets isn't helping their communities at all. Once the money is collected, a significant portion of education spending is spent in wealthier school districts. Other states simply take non-lottery education spending and funnel it into other parts of the budget and then replenish the deficit with lottery proceeds. 
In the end, they claim lotteries are funding education without increasing education spending. An organization called Stop Predatory Gambling released a report in 2020 with evidence that a broad expansion of gambling opportunities in those communities increased poverty rates and led to higher instances of gambling addiction. A nation of small earners who could be small savers, it concludes, has been turned into a nation of habitual gamblers on a course to lose more than $1 trillion of personal wealth to state-sanctioned lotteries and local casinos rather over the next eight years, end quote. It adds, when the states bring in lotteries, the almost sole focus has been to maximize profits, not protect the public interest. That's because a fundamental and irreconcilable conflict exists between the interests of state lotteries and the public good. The state is charged with protecting the public from the very business practices that generate more revenue for the state, end quote. Well, in the um, uh, in the near term, there's no way to stop the broad expansion of lotteries and casinos around the country. But maybe there's an opportunity here, an opportunity for conservatives to put the lie to the to the uh, tired claim that we're only concerned with the rich, an opportunity to call out those lotteries and the predatory practices they're against Uh, They use against the poorest in America. Something to think about. Well, making empty promises, celebrity pledges to move to another country over political differences are typically just empty promises. After the Supreme Court Dobbs decision, Green Day frontman Billy Joe Armstrong told fans at a London concert that he would renounce his citizenship. But don't bet on it. Armstrong certainly entitled to renounce his citizenship. Several thousand Americans do so every year, albeit seldom for the reasons offered by the singer best known for American Idiot. That's the title of their project. But Armstrong would be swimming against the tide in a typical year. More than 800,000 foreign born people are happily sworn in as U.S. citizens. That's because people overseas understand, even if um, not everyone at home does, that America is still a unique land of opportunity and hope, where personal industry is more likely to result in success and fulfillment than anywhere else. Celebrity pledges to leave due to politics are so much hot air. Every three months, the IRS publishes a list of Americans who have renounced their citizenship. Of the famous people who've claimed, usually on stage or on social media, which is a stage, that they would renounce their citizenship if X were to happen, it seems none actually did. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Mark Hitchcock, co-author of Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? We'll also take a look at digital babies of the future, lifestyle over the culture of life. That's in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. A University of Penn trans swimmer has been nominated for NC2A Woman of the Year. Leah Thomas, the transgender swimmer who dominated the 2021-22 NC2A women's swimming and diving season, has been nominated by the University of Pennsylvania to receive the NC2A's Women of the Year Award, which is insulting to women who have been women their entire life and this latecomer um, being given the, the award as a woman. Up to two female athletes can be nominated by eligible schools, and this year there was a total of 577 nominees. The award is designated to recognize female student-athletes who have exhausted their eligibility and distinguished themselves in their community, in athletics, and in academics throughout their college careers. Prior to this um, past season, Thomas had competed in the University of Penn men's team with 
uh, middling results before breaking out as a member of the uh, women's team, setting numerous records over the course of the season and dominating at both Ivy League and NC2A championships. It isn't inclusion that leads the Ivy League to pull stunts like this. It's misogyny and utter contempt for the truth, so says Abigail Schreier. For the first time since Civil War, a majority of registered voters in Kentucky are leaning Republican. The Courier-Journal reports that the Democratic Party has dominated Kentucky politics for the most of the state's history since the Civil War. But another milestone in its fall and the rise of the Republican Party over recent decades has been reached. Republicans now surpass Democrats in registered voters for the first time. The Kentucky State Board of Elections released its new monthly voter registration numbers Friday. Showing 1,612,060 voters registered as Republicans, 1,609,569 registered as Democrats. Just 40 years ago, Democrats made up 68% of registered voters in Kentucky, more than doubling the 28% registered Republicans. Now that spread isn't all that, um, that grand. 1,612,000 for Republicans, 1,609,000 for Democrats. A CNN anchor asked the public to give Democrats grace on Friday. Inside Politics host John King urged critics to give Democrats some grace because their jobs are hard. Okay, King's urging uh, for easier treatment of Democratic lawmakers came specifically in response to a Republican attack. It was an ad uh, criticizing Senator Mark Kelly from Arizona for his reckless spending and accusing him of contributing to the current inflation woes impacting the U.S. Newsbusters analyst Alex uh, Christie says CNN's John King complains it's much easier to be the opposition party. Give Democrats some grace. Governing is hard, especially when you have tiny margins. So it's easier to govern when you're in the minority. And in fact, this next election may grant that wish. Uh, But when you hold the White House, the House and the Senate, it's a little hard uh, to swallow that argument. A federal judge in Tennessee blocked the, the administration's directives on transgender athletes and bathrooms. Reuters reports that a federal judge in Tennessee was has temporarily blocked the administration's directives, allowing transgender workers and students to use bathrooms and locker rooms and join sports teams that correspond with their gender identity rather than their biological sex. The New York Post says that Judge Charles Ashley Jr. of the Eastern District of Tennessee ruled in favor of 20 Republican state attorneys generals. Attorney generals, I think that's the way you say it, who sued last August, arguing that federal directives would make it impossible for states to enforce their own rules about transgender athletes participating in girls sports or accessing bathrooms uh, in coordination with their biological sex. Senator Ted Cruz says the Supreme Court was clearly wrong on its decision to legalize same sex marriage. The senator said Saturday that the Supreme Court was uh, wrong and overreaching when it uh, legalized same-sex marriage nationwide in the landmark Obergfell and Hodges 2015 ruling. Uh, The decision, like Roe versus Wade, ignored two centuries of our nation's history. Cruz said on his podcast, Verdict with um, Ted Cruz, marriage was always an issue that was left to the states. We saw states before Obergfell. Some states were moving to allow gay marriage. Other states were moving to allow civil partnerships. There were different standards that the states were adopting. The remarks from Cruz, who's been open about his interest in another presidential run, came just weeks after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade's decision that guaranteed a constitutional right to abortion. Cruz, a longtime opponent of same-sex marriage, 
Marriage believes both issues should be left to the states, echoed conservative Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who argued in his concurring Roe opinion that the court should reconsider past rulings, including Obergefell, as well as opinions to uh, that protected the right to same sex intimacy and contraception. But of course, the Supreme Court justice does not decide what uh, they're going to take up. That's a matter of um, the lower courts. Uh, so, by the way, we're going to be talking with Mark uh, Paoletta tomorrow. The book Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. Perhaps we'll bring that subject up. A South Dakota congressman proposed a bill blocking China from buying American agriculture companies. <coughs> Excuse me. South Dakota Public Broadcasting says that South Dakota's U.S. Representative Dusty Johnson wants to block some foreign interests from buying U.S. agriculture companies. He's co-sponsoring a bill that blacklists China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. Foreign investments in American agricultural land increased an average of 2.2 million acres per year since 2015. That's according to a report from the National Agriculture Law Center. Congressman Johnson's bipartisan legislation seeks to limit foreign influence in the American food system by blocking sales of companies. Johnson says these efforts would work in conjunction with his support of federal restrictions on land sales. A Southwest Airlines flight attendant has been awarded $5 million after the airline fired her for her pro-life views in 2017. A federal jury in Texas has awarded the former Southwest flight attendant more than $5 million after the airline fired her over her stance on abortion in a lawsuit dating back to 2017. The reward is combined um, compensatory and punitive damages comes after the Transportation Workers Union of America, Local 556 Union and Southwest fired Charlene Carter for her religious stance on abortion, which she publicized on social media. The Daily Wire points out that Southwest plans to appeal that verdict, claiming in a statement on Friday that the company has a demonstrated history of supporting our employees' rights to express their opinions when done in a respectful manner. Carter could collect $4.15 million from Southwest and $950,000 from the union, mostly in punitive damages if the verdict stands. Russia remains aggressive with missile strikes across Ukraine. Russia is preparing for the next stage of its offensive in Ukraine, a Ukrainian military official said after Moscow said its forces would step up military operations in all operational areas. As Western deliveries of long range uh, arms began to help Ukraine on the battlefield, Russian rockets and missiles have pounded cities in strikes that uh, Kiev says have killed dozens in recent days. The Ukrainian military said Russia appeared to be regrouping units for an offensive toward Sloviansk, a a symbolically important city held by Ukraine in the eastern region of Donetsk. And keep in mind that Iran is uh, making available weaponized drones for Russia as well. Well, the Camdy company Mars, Mars Inc., is uh, being sued for leaving a toxic ingredient in the trademark candy they promised to remove way back in 2016. I really like Mars candy bars. Well, the candy company was uh, sued on Thursday for allegedly selling toxic goodies to customers that included titanium dioxide, a colorant in its ingredients. The company alleged uh, allegedly pledged years ago to remove the food additive TIO2, which is being banned in European uh, by the European Union. The colorant, though, still remains as an ingredient in the proposed class action suit filed in Oakland, California. The. Janelle Thames claims Mars is endangering 
unsuspecting Skittles customers. Well, I don't actually eat Skittles, so I guess I'm in the clear on that one. TIO2 is currently not banned in the United States, and the ingredient is listed on packs of the treat. But the suit claims that not sufficient, since the uh, packaging is red and the ingredients listed in black are hard to read. A reasonable consumer would expect that uh, Skittles can be safely purchased and consumed as marketed and sold. The complainant uh, said, according to Reuters, however, the products are not safe. They are, however, legal, so I'm not sure where this will ultimately go. Well, coming up, uh, we've got news and traffic here at the top of the hour. And in the second hour, Mark Hitchcock, he's the co-author of the book Global Reset. We'll also talk about a new phenomenon, digital babies replacing actual babies in another case of lifestyle over the culture of life. All of that coming up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. News and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. My next guest addresses the question, are we headed for a great reset? COVID unleashed a cascade of consequences that are now reaching far beyond the pandemic itself. Governments have begun leveraging the coronavirus and even the vaccine as a power grab, setting the stage for further intrusions in the future. And these accelerants are driving the world to the precipice of fundamental, irreversible transformation. The winds of change are blowing. Tectonic shifts are underway at every level. And these realities are alarming by themselves. And yet there remains a still deeper, more sinister agenda. Well, co-authors Mark Hitchcock and Jeff Kinley painstakingly make the case together in Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? That uh, while we aren't yet in the end times, we're on the edge of a precipice. It's a fascinating work. Well, my guest is Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He graduated from law school in 84 after working for a judge at the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals for four years. He led was led to attend Dallas Theological Seminary. He was served. Uh, has served as a um, senior pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. He completed his Ph.D. at Dallas Theological Seminary in 2005. He serves as an associate professor of Bible exposition uh, there. Uh, he has uh, written over, uh, t- um, had his books rather translated in over 10 languages and has written many, many books. We're talking about one of them today and are just delighted to have you with us, Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. You begin the book, uh, and again, Global Reset, by writing about a global preset. Explain what you mean by that and uh, the fascinating account that you give um, of the 2020 uh, Davos, Switzerland uh, confab, if you will, the World Economic Forum. Yes. Well, thanks for having me so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, the whole idea of a global reset comes from the Great Reset. And uh, the Great Reset really is the brainchild of uh, Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum, meeting Davos, Switzerland every year. And uh, they met this this past year. And um, as always, the the goal is basically to um, take control basically over um, basically every part of the globe. They they say their mission is to shape global, regional and industry agendas to bring about a a global reboot. And uh, basically what they want to do is to uh, use crises. Uh, they tried to do it back with the, the housing crisis in 2008. Uh, they certainly seized on the COVID crisis. That's when Klaus Schwab wrote his book, The Great Reset. And uh, the next one's probably going to be climate change, you know, things like inflation. But basically, they, 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 what they're doing is they're kind of reaching into every area of life 
to try to take control over every imaginable domain, the economic, geopolitical, governmental, you know, the, all the technological, the medical, you know, through the CDC and World Health Organization. So basically, it's to, to take control over people's lives in every area. And uh, again, we call this a preset because what we're seeing today is not the global empire of the Antichrist, but it's a preset for that. So it's a reset, but really it's a preset for the ultimate reset that's coming when uh, the Antichrist comes and takes power. And uh, what we're seeing today is just kind of a faint foreshadow of that. You make the point that um, Pandora's box has been opened. This is, as you put it, the preset to events yet to come. Can you talk uh, more specifically about why the 2020 confab was significant in this this move in the direction that ultimately will result in a global reset? Well, yeah, in, in 2020, obviously, that's, you know, when COVID's taking place. And so because COVID um, you know, they were able to have lockdowns, you know, vaccines, track and trace technology. That was really the boost for all of this, because the whole the whole idea of this reset, it hinges on, on crisis. You have to have a crisis. And so kind of there's a kind of a pattern or a cycle here where there's a crisis and then there's chaos. Obviously, COVID created chaos. And then out of that comes control. Uh, they seek to have control. And then from the control comes compliance. You know, people are kind of um, you know, basically uh, brought to a place of submission, and then there's calm. So they need a crisis to gain control. You know, years ago, Rahm Emanuel, the the um, chief of staff of President Obama, said, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm-hmm. And uh, they realized they have to have a crisis to create the fear and the alarmism to get people to kind of knuckle under and surrender their rights to do what they want them to do. And so that basically in 2020 was kind of the launching pad, really, for all of this. And now that the one they just had a couple, a few weeks ago, Davos, Switzerland, their, their most recent meeting, a third of their meetings were about climate change. So that's kind of the, you know, the crisis du jour, if you will. That's kind of the next one that's in the waiting in the wings with, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, a climate apocalypticism that's out there. You know, the world's going to end. We got to, you know, make all these changes. So that's what they feed on. And again, it worked to a T really with, with, uh, with the COVID crisis. And, you know, it's really not over yet. It's just, it's kind of an ongoing crisis where it's going to be around for a long time. They're going to keep feeding it, I think, as long as they can. What role will technology, uh, contact tracing and tracking play in moving in the direction that they uh, are working toward? Well, that's the real difference nowadays, I think. You know, people often ask me, they'll say, well, you know, people have always talked about the Antichrist coming and a one-world government and a one-world economy. You know, people have been talking about these things forever. You know, what's the difference now? Well, the, the difference is technology, and it's a, it's, and it's a massive difference. Uh, you know, the, the cell phones we have, people can be tracked and traced. And this began during COVID, where, uh, you know, people would be, you know, had no, all the people you've been in contact with. But the, the, the part about this, of this whole technology that I think is the most chilling is when it comes to financial dealings, there's, uh, you know, we all know about cryptocurrencies, but there's something else called central bank digital currency that's actually going to be issued by central banks, by governments. China already has a, a digital currency. Not everyone uses it, but it's, got, it's, a, it's a digital yuan. But back on March 9th, uh, President, uh, President Biden issued an executive order for the powers that be in the United States to begin investigating uh, the uh, digital dollar. And the thing that's frightening about that is 
with a digital dollar, it's it's um, programmable. So they can track and trace where you spend every dollar. So they'll know every every penny you spend, but it's programmable in the sense that they can actually program where you can spend the money. So if they if they don't want you to buy a firearm, then, then none of the money is 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 put to that. They, if they want you to eat less meat because you know they're concerned about methane that you know given off by cattle for global warming, then you can only buy you know so much meat. You might buy so much gasoline or whatever. So you know you maybe won't be able to use any of the money to give to a, a ministry that you want to give to that's on a blacklist. So once once something like that takes place, that kind of technology is in place with with a, with a currency. Um, you know, really, humanly speaking, it's checkmate because, you know, people are totally in the control then economically of this, you know, massive system. So, you know, technology really just in every way really is the driver of this and just all the surveillance uh, that, that's taking place in people's lives. So that's really the game changer, I think, in many ways that that even allows things like this global reset or this great reboot uh, to even be talked about today. You write in um, the section of your book, Return to Babylon, that these realities are alarming by themselves, and yet there remains a deeper, more sinister agenda embedded within. According to prophecies found in the scriptures, a one-world government will indeed emerge in the end times. To more fully understand this coming kingdom, we have to grasp how both Daniel and Revelation describe it. Now, for people who are skeptical that we are living in the end times as described in uh, in scripture, what what should we be aware of in order to understand uh, what we're witnessing today and what's coming. Well, the Bible predicts in Revelation chapter 13, if someone wants to read that for themselves, it predicts a, a one-world government, um, a one-world economy, and a one-world religion in the end times. And again, the book of Daniel is kind of the precursor to this, but it's really fleshed out most clearly in the book of Revelation. Um, you know, the, the world started after the, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Everybody was there together under the rule of one man named Nimrod. God scattered people all over the earth. And we've gone from tribalism to nationalism to, to globalism. And Satan is the master globalist. He's trying to bring the world back together again under the rule of one man. Satan wants to be worshipped. And that's where everything ultimately is headed. That's what we call it back to Babylon or back to Babel. Everything's headed back there. And interestingly, two of the last chapters in the Bible are about Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. So everything's headed towards this this globalism. And again, if you look at our world today, to me, that's one of the key signs of the times um, that tells us uh, where we are in God's prophetic calendar is just the incredible uh, exponential mushrooming in, in globalism in our world today. And that fact alone is really consistent with what we see in Scripture. It's not far-fetched at all now to see how, um, in the not-too-distant future, a person could really come along who could uh, have a, a one-world government, a one-world global economy. Uh, we really have a global economy already in many senses. We have different currencies, but you know, one nation has you know drops and has has, has a big problem. You know, one of the main nations that affects the world. Mm-hmm. So all of this is moving towards this ultimate empire um, of the Antichrist. And again, I, I believe in a, a pre-tribulation rapture. So I think one of these days, you know, mil- millions and millions of people disappear off the face of the earth. And you talk about a crisis for these global elites to seize upon and ultimately the Antichrist. That's going to be the, the, the crisis of all crises, you know, for them to exploit and, and, and take advantage of that I think then they'll leverage to even accelerate this this globalism even more. 
We're talking this afternoon with uh, Mark Hitchcock. He's the co-author of Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? We'll continue that conversation in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He graduated from law school. He attended Dallas Theological Seminary. He's completed his Ph.D. at Dallas Theological Seminary and serves as an associate professor of Bible exposition there. He's offered over 30 books related to end times biblical prophecy. His books have been translated into over 10 languages. He's a frequent speaker at churches and prophecy conferences, both here in the U.S. and internationally. We're talking about the book he co-authored along with uh, Jeff Kinley, Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? Well, let me ask you about um, uh, the, the grand illusion. You have a section, Bigger Stage, Bigger Illusion. You share the story of an illusionist who had... Um, lots of people fascinated by his sleight of hand, if you will, but that there is a bigger illusion coming that um, will explain, at least in part, how so many are deceived into embracing what's coming. Yeah, that's right. You know, to to, uh, magnify the crises that are happening in our world today, the global resetters use uh, mass deception. Um, you know, we, we see this, you know, I use COVID as an example. And again, you know, I'm not a you know vaccination denier or any kind of things like that myself. But you see the deception. It was hard to tell who was telling the truth. You hear one person mm-hmm. say one thing, one person say another thing. You're just trying to decipher all this and think, where where's the truth? Where's where's the truth in all this? And, you know, eventually you find out at the end that there's a lot of deception that's taking place, you know, in the names the name of science and creates a lot of fear and a, a alarmism, because if people are fearful enough and deceived enough, then they'll submit and they'll comply. And that's exactly what's going to happen when the ultimate global reset comes with uh, the Antichrist in the end times, uh, the Bible tells us that Satan is going to energize this this final world ruler like like no one before. Uh, my my co-author Jeff Kinley calls the Antichrist Satan with skin on. That's a pretty good way to to look at what he's going to be like. But the Bible tells us he's going to do all kinds of lying signs and wonders. So actually going to be astounding miracles are going to take place and wonders. And when it calls them lying wonders, it doesn't mean they're false. It just means the purpose of them. Um, is to deceive people. And, you know, ultimately this, this Antichrist figure is going to die and come back to life. I mean, a dramatic event, a, a parody of, of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So there's going to be mass deception. I, I think we have no idea what the deception will be like ultimately in, in the tribulation period. But we are today, I think, getting a little foretaste of that with just you know, knowing what to believe, who to believe, um, it's it's becoming very difficult uh, today. That's even true in the spiritual realm. There's so many, you know, false teachers out there today, people saying different things that people are very confused today. It takes it takes a lot of discernment, I think, today to be able to cut through a lot of that. And that's one of the reasons we need programs like yours, and uh, we need good churches that teach the Bible, and we need to you know, spend time in God's Word each day because we we t- we need we need discernment uh, desperately today. Oh, absolutely! You make the point that this Satan, if you will, with skin on, um, will function in the same way that we've seen Satan function in Scripture. He darkens the mind. He distracts um, uh, desires. He deceives hearts. He uh, dilutes the truth. 
uh, and I'm, I'm looking at different titles in your book, uh, that we can predict to some degree what to expect based on what we've seen in the past, um, but on a grander scale than the world has ever seen. No, that's right. You know, Satan's the master deceiver. That's his main uh, modus operandi is deception. You know, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he comes to Eve and he says, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree? It's deception is what he brings in. He's uh, constantly deceiving, and uh, that's what he uses. And um, he deceives people ultimately to, to believe all kinds of things. They don't need a Savior. Uh, they're not that bad. They're not that sinful. But the deception we're seeing today in our world is on a is on a mass scale. And again, as we mentioned earlier, part of that is technology. Technology allows for this mass deception uh, to take place. But that's always been been Satan's uh, program. Satan's uh, the master counterfeiter. You know, he never had an original idea in his mind, but he takes what God has and he counterfeits it. Um, he, he manipulates it. He deceives people through it. And uh, that's what we see happening in our world today. And it's going to it's just going to continue to ramp up again. The ultimate final deception will be that this final ruler, the Antichrist, that he is God. And the Bible says that people will worship him as God. They're going to have to take a mark upon them, uh, the right hand or the forehead, a, a visible physical mark upon them to be able to buy or sell. So that will be the ultimate deception. The world began with, with the sin of man, but it's going to end with the man of sin, and that'll be the final deception. Mm. And one of the points you make in the chapter on the mark is that it's not something that you could inadvertently stumble into, but this will be a decision made to embrace um, the Antichrist. And I appreciated that you explained that uh, in the book, Global Reset, that, you know, you're not going to wake up one day and think, oh, dear, I've accidentally somehow stumbled into this uh, this commitment. That's right. Yeah, the mark of the beast is going to be uh, something that people will knowingly, willingly do. And, and you know, it's going to be the number 666, which I believe in Revelation 13, verses 16 to 18, it talks about that. I think it's that's literally the numerical value of the Antichrist name. So when people take that number on them, it's a pledge of allegiance. It's a loyalty pledge to the Antichrist. And it'll also serve then as the, the passport for commerce. But yeah, I'll have people sometimes ask me, well, you know, if they get come up with a, you know, a national identification card, should I get that? You know, could that be the mark of the beast? And there, there's uh, several problems. That one is the mark of the beast won't come until the time of the tribulation, actually the, the last half of the seven-year tribulation. And the other thing is, so it's jumping the gun to say anything today is the, the mark of the beast. But again, as you pointed out, it, people will willingly take it. So once they take it, they're going to be doomed. And uh, so it's a willful choice that people reject Christ. They accept Antichrist. So, you know, nothing today, nothing before uh, the tribulation begins, actually nothing before the middle of the tribulation could be the mark of the beast. So people just need to remember that and not get, um, you know, uh, speculate about what the mark of the beast is, if it's around now, or become, you all know, really fearful about social security cards or, you know, global ID cards or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, the scriptures talk a lot about a one world order, and it sounds very appealing in the world today. You've got the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. You've got uh, the the threat of, of China. You've got Israel, the focus of Iran and other nations, the, the notion of a one world order where there's unity and peace, it sounds very attractive. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that 
um, that goal of the of the enemy, but um, how that will be so appealing. And of course, there's one who will uh, make it most appealing, um, the the Antichrist himself. But uh, talk a bit about the one world order and why that would be contrary to what God intends. Yeah, the one world order, you know, is it really interesting this last week, you know, one of the uh, economic advisors for uh, President Biden talked about the liberal world order. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to have the liberal world. And that went viral. A million people saw that almost immediately. Liberal world order. Uh, we've got, you know, the new world order, uh, the great reset. Actually, uh, the words build back better is was taken from the World Economic Forum. So all of these are kind of um, synonyms, really, if you will, for this uh, one world order. We're kind of a borderless world where we don't have all the wars we have. And, you know, it's a what it is, it's what people have wanted from the beginning, utopia. You know, we want a utopia on earth. And of course, we believe there will be a utopia someday when the King of Kings comes, uh, the Lord Jesus. He's going to set up a, a utopia. But the idea that man can produce this this utopia, you know, I, I always I always laugh at that. And I, I try not to be too sarcastic. But, you know, years ago, you know, John Lennon wrote the song, Imagine, you know, all the people, you know, living life in peace. And I was like to point out, you know, the Beatles couldn't even get along with each other. You know, the band <laughs> broke up, you know. So, and you have four people that can't get along, talking about the whole world living in peace. And, again, I'm not I'm not bashing them, but you see it in marriages all, all over the place. You know, two people can't get along. So, you know, how are we going to get seven billion people? It's a, it's a pipe dream that, that Satan sells to the world. But the Antichrist, I think, when he comes, he's coming on a platform of peace. And he's going to come, and he's going to make a treaty with Israel. I think he's going to bring peace to the Middle East, at least for a short period of time. So I think he's going to be Times Man of the Year. You know, he'll be the you know the win the Nobel Peace Prize. So he's smart and crafty. He's going to come on this this peace platform and prosperity, which is what all politicians want to want to bring. But it's going to quickly begin to to disintegrate and fall apart. But you know, people want it so badly. Uh, people want peace. They want unity in this world so badly that when someone comes and you know there's even a faint hope that they can bring it, people will will, will fall in, in line for that really quickly. But it's going to be a deception again, and uh, it'll quickly disintegrate, and the world's going to you know descend into chaos in the tribulation period. But um, you know people want that. They want it badly. But uh, you know it's it, it's never going to happen until Jesus comes. Yeah. Once again, we're talking about the book Global Reset. Uh, My guest, uh, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and his co-author, Jeff Kinley, are the authors. Uh, Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? He's consented to stay with us for a few more minutes. We will be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He is, along with Jeff Kinley, the co-author of Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? It uh, covers a lot of, of questions that people have about the details and uh, what to expect. You know, one of the things that I, I think a lot of people wonder about is with this notion of one world order, how the nations would come together. For example, um, is China going to be a cooperative? Is it going to be part of this new world order? You you write about the role that China is likely to play as opposed to the Middle East and different uh, parts of the globe. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's it's challenging to imagine, given what we see today, what it might look like in the future when there's a moment of unity and then the conflicts break out. 
Yes. Um, you know, China obviously is, I mean, they have mass power today by their, through their population, through their industry they have. I mean, they're, they're obviously the other key power now really to offset the United States. And, you know, people are projecting that their economy could be larger uh, than the economy of the United States you know, in, the, in the not too distant future. What's interesting, though, to me about this whole global reset and the uh, World Economic Forum, China is a key player in the World Economic Forum. Um, Klaus Schwab, his son, is married to a woman from China. And people have even called Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum uh, that, that meets in Davos, Switzerland every year. They, they called uh, Klaus Schwab a China fanboy. They actually look to China as kind of the model for what they want the world to be like, which, again, is totalitarian. Um, you know, mass surveillance. You know, in China, they have a social credit score. Everybody has a social credit score. You're under so much surveillance, they constantly know what you're doing. I mean, it, it literally is the reality of, you know, big brothers watching that, um, you know, if, if your social credit score is low, things you do wrong, your internet's slower, your kids can't go to certain schools, you can't travel. In fact, if you break leash laws, they come take your dog away. I mean, that's how draconian it is and what they're watching. So this is what the World Economic Forum looks at, and this is the control they want. They, they want they want control in the world concentrated in the hands of, of just a few people and a few major corporations. And of course they believe that those people should be self-selected. So they're, you know, they're the ones who are, who are going to do this, but they, they really do see China as a model. And, um, you know, we see in our own country today, you know, more and more uh, control over people's lives. We see it in Europe. Um, you know, there's more crime and lawlessness. A lot of these things are used in it, you know, as an excuse to, you know, we've got to have more control to, to, uh, to, to bring about, uh, you know, peace and safety. So China really is a nation that these global resetters look to as uh, kind of the model for what they perceive for the future. Do we find China referenced in Daniel 11? And what about the future of the United States in these events as they unfold? Well, yeah, China, you know, in, in, in uh, Daniel 11 there, it says that the Antichrist, he's going to hear rumors from the north and east, and he's going to go forth with great fury you know, and wrath to destroy and annihilate many. But many people, Bible teachers have taken it, you know, there's rumors from the north and the east is the, the approach of the kings of the east, I mentioned in Revelation chapter 16. But my, my view on that is when the Antichrist hears rumors from the north and east, he's actually down in, in North Africa. So rumors from the north and east would be in Israel. So he goes back to Israel to destroy and annihilate many and to, to persecute the Jewish people. So I don't see China there. I don't really see China um, anywhere. They, they could be part of the kings of the east, though, in Revelation chapter 16. It's a, a, great, a horde of nations from the east of the Euphrates River. Um, the United States, that's an interesting question. I get asked that all the time. Mm -hmm. The uh, the United States not, is not mentioned, obviously, directly in the Bible. You don't find the words United States or America. Some think there are veil, veiled references to the U.S. You know, the the, the uh, Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18, they'll say it's New York City, or, you know, the America's the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel, or a lot of different places they they found America. I don't think America is mentioned either directly or indirectly, which raises the question, obviously, if we're the great world superpower we are today, you'd think we would be mentioned. So I think the, the scriptural silence about America is significant. To me, it indicates something happens to us. Now, again, people say, well, what will that be? Well, I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there are certainly are plausible scenarios today, uh, you know, some kind of a nuclear 9-11 
or you know the the debt that we have, you know, thirty trillion and just massively growing, um, the inflation uh, that we see in our country today to devastate our economy, um, just a collapse from within. You know, there's there's God's wrath on on a nation as they just continue to turn their back on Him. So, don't know for sure. My own view is that really America's judgment could come at the rapture. You, know, you have all the salt and light is going to be extracted out of America in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And of course, believers all over the earth will disappear. But at least from what statistics tell us, we somewhere around eight percent of the people in America are true believers in Jesus Christ, that the believers saved by God's grace alone, uh, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And now that would be over 30 million people. So you talk about a drop on the Dow Jones the next day, you know, a mortgage crisis. I mean, it'd be devastating. So it could be that the rapture also happens maybe in conjunction with some of these other things as well, the debt we have, the, you know, the moral uh, corruption in our country, and it will bring us down to some kind of a second or third rate nation possibly after the rapture. So that's that's what I see kind of putting the pieces together. And I know there there's some speculation involved in that, but I don't think it's you know it's not um, reckless speculation when we look at you know what could America's role be and we'll we'll probably just be absorbed ultimately into to the empire of the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the the larger question is, given the fact that God has given us enough information to let us know, first of all, he's in control, that there are a series of events that we can anticipate, although we may not fully understand them at at our vantage point at this time. Um, what should our, our response be? How should we live in light of what the scripture tells us and what, what is coming? Well, yeah, obviously, if someone's listening, they've never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. That's what they need to do. They need to flee to Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God who came and, and bore our sin debt. He, he died on the cross for our sins. He rose the third day. And it's only through Him that we can have salvation. It's only through Him that we can go to heaven. So if someone's listening who's never done that, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if we know the Lord, um, we need to be uh, ready ourselves, make sure we're living a life that's pleasing to God. Um, I think we need to be sharing this news with others. You know, telling people around us, you know, what the Bible says about the future. Again, you know, this isn't something that's far-fetched. Even people that don't know much about the Bible have a sense today that this world's getting near closing time. Uh, that they sense that something's different. And so we, we need to be ambassadors uh, for Jesus Christ um, in this time in which we live. And uh, we need to live, as you mentioned earlier, that God's in control. There, there's 500 prophecies in the Bible that have already been fulfilled. There are 500 yet to be fulfilled. So the Bible has quite a track record, and uh, God knows the future, and he controls the future. And I always like to tell people, if God's got the whole world in his hands, he's got your world in his hands. That's right. And a lot of us have a lot of problems and struggles in life. Um, And if God controls the world, he controls my world. And that ought to be a great comfort to us. Whatever we face, a lot of of difficulties in this world, but um, I pray that'll bring comfort to somebody here um, who may be listening this evening. Once again, the book we've been talking about, Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? I'll just say that it's eminently readable, and if you uh, are not familiar with the scriptures and what they teach, this is a great guide to walk you through um, what's uh, what we're seeing, what's coming, and what the world has planned for our future, although God is sovereign. Dr. Hitchcock, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Uh, By the way, the book is published by Thomas Nelson. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. As we're about to wrap things up, I want to let you know that we have a new program that we'd like to welcome here on KPDQ, Destined for Victory with Pastor Paul Shepard. It's now part of our regular lineup Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. following this program right here on 93.9 KPDQ FM. You can join the program every day immediately following the Georgine Rice Show. You'll be informed, inspired by practical, down-to-earth teaching blended with humor from Pastor Paul Shepard. You can learn more about the show and the ministry at kpdq.com. So stick around. I think you might enjoy what you hear. Well, it's interesting the day that we're living in, things that you couldn't imagine becoming popular or a regular practice have become just that. Well, Scott uh, Zipperell uh, wrote a column on digital babies, and I was immediately drawn to the idea of a digital baby and the culture of lifestyle over a culture of life. Well, he writes, could the future of parenthood be having virtual children in the metaverse? An article featured in British newspaper The Guardian forecasts a world in which it's commonplace for young adults and would-be parents to opt toward raising digital babies over having real children of their own. Powered by virtual reality and artificial intelligence, these programmable and highly realistic children would simulate play, emotional feedback, and the tactile feel of caring for offspring. Pretty cute, huh? Well, maybe not. What it says about us is deeply unsettling, that we are a culture of lifestyle as opposed to a culture of life itself. It would be gravely unwise of us to shrug off something like raising a digital baby in the metaverse. It's just a fad that will come and go or to be dismissed as a distant problem for another generation to deal with. But the technology is imminent. And looking at our current culture, it makes sense why grown adults playing with a fake virtual baby will become a popular thing as predicted. Well, this futurist idea appears to be. Coming to fruition as more and more companies are investing billions of dollars into the metaverse, an immersive virtual world created on the Internet that users can access with very uh, real handsets that are virtual and the technology becomes more potent. Not only are companies like Google and Apple dedicating serious resources to the headsets and hardware, but Nike, they currently sell virtual sneakers using non-fungible tokens. Um, celebrities and corporations are spending millions of dollars buying digital land. Pair this with a digital, uh, a Google engineer, uh, for example, claiming that the company has built a sentient artificial intelligent bot capable of discussing not only complex ideas, but its fears and its rights as a being. Blake Limone, who is placed on leave shortly after going public, believes that the company's AI has gained the mental ability of an eight-year-old kid that happens to know physics. This is the future. For many young people, our culture of lifestyle is driven by a hyper-consumerist appetite for chasing cheap dopamine-releasing events, producing in our brain a perpetual gamified experience designed to fill a deep existential void with immediate gratification. Self-worth is found in the number of social media followers we gain. Identity is built around how polished of a picture we can post online. Purpose is replaced with a subtly nihilistic attitude that our lives are strictly bound to what we have on earth, so we might as well only do the most convenient, most pleasurable things, self over sacrifice. Our brains being rewired in this way has dramatically changed our understanding of humanity and the way we ought to live. 
Children are viewed as accessories rather than as embodied souls with their own dignity and worth. Parenthood is optional or to uh, be put off until our 30s and 40s when all conditions are arbitrarily deemed to be just right, rather than a natural duty to steward the next generation. A survey by Pew Research in 2021 found that 44 percent of non-parents age 18 to 49 said they didn't expect to ever have children. That number is up from 37 percent in 2018. Out of that pool, 56 percent cited their main reason for not having children is because, well, they just don't want them. In place of building a family, young adults increasingly prioritize their careers, going out and hooking up, pampering fur babies, their pets, and growing plants. The birth control pill and abortion are customarily um, uh, used to maintain this lifestyle. To put it in perspective, one in five pregnancies reportedly ended in abortion in 2020. These are the symptoms of a nation that is ill. Not only is the declining societal health of our nation marked by a notable collapse in the U.S. birth rate, below necessary replacement levels, but families and communities are suffering greatly as the attitude of lifestyle over life ripples throughout society. We outsource parenting to public schools, community building to government programs, and caring for elderly relatives to nursing homes. And by doing so, we cut all ties that bind us to our past and future because we're so consumed with our own present amusement. It's no wonder, then, How we've become a disconnected society. We've closed our eyes to the gift of life along with all the challenges and natural obligations that come with it. And that is where the bonds are formed. We have rejected the human experience. Many of these trends are brought about by a collective resignation toward avoiding conflict in order to live a frictionless, risk-free life. And technology, driven by the demand to solve problems, whether Uh, It be a matter of convenience or the inherent toil of um, simply living enables us to innovate away the human experience. We selectively tailor our lives to only what is most immediately gratifying while desperately resisting the realities of our nature. So, yes, in observing our culture of lifestyle, the idea that more adults will choose to raise a virtual child in the metaverse is not all that far-fetched. It's cheaper, it can be uh, turned off when the user gets bored, or it can be reprogrammed when the simulation becomes too difficult. Life is difficult, but it's often in solving life's challenges that we find the greatest rewards and perhaps even grow into better versions of ourselves. Well, the natural human experience is not something to avert or digitally desensitize ourselves to. In addition to not being a, a proper means to approach these normal life challenges, The increased use of digital technology, especially for children, has been linked to a reduced attention span, impaired emotional and social intelligence, social isolation, as well as hindered cognitive and brain development. Then medical professionals frivolously prescribe medications to mitigate these effects. So as much as we reject it, the deeply innate human desire to care for offspring will not be fulfilled by replacing family with uh, formation, rather, with lesser responsibilities like becoming a dog mom a plant parent, or raising a digital baby. Well, instead, we need to work toward generating a culture of life centered around human flourishing and the American family. This means revisiting questions that our nation has been recently struggling with regarding what it means to be human and how we should live. What is the purpose of human existence and what does that mean for me? What makes life meaningful? What does it mean to suffer well? And how can I wrestle with life's challenges constructively? Who do I need to to be so that I can serve others? 
We need to think intentionally. Getting these answers right will bring us more productive conversations to what we promote culturally, how we build our economy, and how we approach public policy. In this case, we need to couple technological innovation with careful consideration of how we preserve our humanity and the responsibility we have in shaping the digital ecosystem as it evolves. We can't give up on the natural world and jump into a synthetic living in the metaverse. There will always be a need for authentic family formation and community development and technology that tries to sell us on anything otherwise is merely sedative for dealing with human realities. I found it a really interesting article to consider where we are going. We simply have elected not to deal with life as it is, but to choose a lighter version of it that doesn't really reflect the challenges of real living. And as a follower of Jesus, I find this gives me a a picture, if you will, of the landscape that our culture is creating for our neighbors and friends, co-workers and family members. Are we prepared to share the truth of the gospel, the meaning that we find in our relationship with Christ? That will be one of the many challenges that we face, and I hope we'll all take it a bit more seriously and not just chuckle at the idea of digital babies and a culture of lifestyle over the culture of life. We're out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, although he's off today, and Sam Moppin for engineering. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Tomorrow, looking forward to a conversation with Mark Paoletta, co-author of Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.